0: meditation practice is a science of the mind. We can see this in the Buddhist teaching of the Four Noble Truths, you know, in this very clear understanding of what liberates us, and in the understanding that mindfulness is the basic methodology for this investigation. And he taught with such amazing clarity and precision what the causes of suffering are and the possibilities of freedom. Well, meditation is an art as well as a science, and tonight I'd like to speak about one particular quality of mind that more than any other requires this artistic sensibility. It's a quality of mind that appears more often than any other in the various lists of the factors of awakening. and The Buddha spoke of it as the one factor that brings the fulfillment of all our aspirations. It's a powerful force that needs a very delicate touch. The word in Pali for this quality of mind is virya, and we can get a sense of its many nuances and meanings from the various ways this Pali word has been translated into English. So virya has been translated as strength, as courage, as vigor, as vitality as perseverance, as effort, I'll just you know put all of these together, courage and strength and vigor and vitality and perseverance and effort, so all of these together give some sense of what this quality of mind that's in all of us, of what it's like. In its most basic meaning, virya is energy. energy is the capacity for activity. It's the power to act, to do, to accomplish something. So the art of practice is learning to cultivate and modulate the use of this energy in an appropriate way. So we experience virya, this energetic capacity of mind, in different ways. We can feel it as a strength of mind that holds up or supports something. And the example they use in the text for this supporting quality of virya, uh, they talk of it just as an example of a beam or a, a post that would support a building that's falling down. You know, and so we prop it up, we support it with a beam. In meditation, when we combine this quality of virya, of energy, this supporting quality, with mindfulness and wisdom, it's the supporting function that strengthens and holds up, doesn't let fall down all the beautiful qualities within our hearts, so that these qualities are not weakened or not lost. So it's virya which supports them. And the Buddha emphasized the importance of this, the ongoing importance of virya, particularly in this function of supporting the wholesome qualities. When he said, when we practice, wisdom grows. And when we don't practice, wisdom weakens. So this is something I think we really need to take note of. Wisdom is not something we get and then we put away you know, for safekeeping. Until there is an assurance of awakening, if wisdom is not nurtured, it simply becomes a memory. We may have had some deep insights, but unless we're continually feeding it and nurturing it, so then that inside itself becomes a memory and not something alive within us. And I think we've all seen how easy it is for old habit patterns of mind to begin to reassert themselves. There was a great 12th century or 11th century Korean Zen master, his name was Shinul. He was one of the founders, I think, of Korean Zen. He had a wonderful framework for his teaching. He called it Sudden Awakening, Gradual Cultivation. So he really pointed to the nature of mind, the nature of freedom that's possible right now as we understand the mind, and also the need for the gradual cultivation of that state. So it's not enough to have these moments of insights, we have to cultivate that wisdom. This is what he said, beginningless habit energies are extremely difficult to remove suddenly. Hindrances are formidable and habits are deeply ingrained. You may have noticed this. (laughs) (laughs) Hindrances are formidable and habits are deeply ingrained so we need this quality of virya you know to nurture to support the wisdom in our minds and it's precisely virya which keeps this wisdom growing that keeps strong what is already wholesome within us you know and develops those qualities those wholesome qualities that are not yet well developed So, support, the strengthening, that's one aspect. Another aspect of virya that powerfully engages us on this journey of awakening is its manifestation as courage. Now, courage, the word in English comes from the Latin, the Latin word and root for heart. So, we might understand courage as strength of heart. And We need this strength of heart in our practice. We see it very obviously when we're dealing with the hindrance, the formidable hindrance of sloth and torpor. We're all familiar with times of sleepiness and dullness you know, arising in our meditation. But actually sloth and torpor has a deeper meaning than sleepiness or dullness. On a deeper level, sloth and torpor is the deep-seated tendency in the mind to retreat from difficulties. That's what sloth and torpor does. When those factors are present, we pull back. We retreat from what is difficult. And what makes it so tricky for us in working with this very deeply rooted habit pattern is that sloth and torpor often comes masquerading as compassion. You know, we might be feeling tired or bored or restless and instead of engaging with and investigating these states we hear this very kindly voice in our minds. (laughs) Let me take care of myself. Let me be good to myself. A little nap will be just the thing. (laughs) How often have we heard that voice? And of course, there are times when we do need rest. So it's to acknowledge that that is sometimes the case. But very often, it's not. So I'll just give you one example from my own practice which was so instructive for me. This goes back uh, to the early years in India. Uh, I was practicing at this time with uh, the Vipassana teacher, uh, S. N. Goenka. And in his retreats, uh, we would get up at 4 in the morning and then sit for 2 hours before breakfast and then follow, follow the daily schedule. So I'd get up at 4 and I would actually make a beeline for the meditation hall so I could get a seat in the back of the hall against a wall, <laughs> <laughs> so the walls, wall slots were very <laughs> desirable. So I got up every morning at 4, went to the meditation hall, start sitting, and then after a little while I just leaned back against the wall <laughs> and I would soon be asleep. This happened the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth. I mean, it went on for a long time. And I remember thinking to myself, this is stupid. You know, I'm just getting up and coming in and sleeping. Why not just sleep, you know, get up at breakfast, and then at least I'll be awake for the day? But I didn't listen to that voice. I just, I was peer pressure, really. But I kept on going to the hall. And then it was amazing. One morning, I went in. And I didn't fall asleep. And from that morning on, I was completely wakeful. Now there was nothing magic about that morning. It was just the effort to keep doing it, even when the sleepiness was continued. It was continuing. I just keep making the effort, you know, applying that viria. And it was building, even when I couldn't see that it was building until the point where the mind was really awake so we have to appreciate just how the process happens you know and virya means not retreating from the difficulty but staying there and meeting it so another way we retreat from difficulties are those times when we're annoyed you know or irritated by something and instead of exploring and investigating the nature of these mind states within ourselves, we immediately try to fix the situation. You know, instead of looking at our own minds. So, the nature of virya, of courage, is just the opposite of retreating from difficulties. The quality of courage is actually inspired by challenges. It's energized by the challenge. It's the feeling, instead of, let me take a nap, in the face of difficulty, it's the feeling, yes, I can do this. I can be with this. The quality of courage is actually inspired by difficult tasks. And it even, at times, seeks them out. So I had one example of this just in my regular life. Uh, quite a few years ago, I had started doing some mountain biking uh, and it was, it was the first time and so I was quite a beginner at it uh, and I would often be riding with friends who were much better than I was and it might not seem so until you're on a bike. But it's actually quite hilly around here. <laughs> you know, and the the people I were riding with were were more experienced and kind of they were going up you know, pretty steep hills in the woods. And for a long time. I mean I was just halfway up I would have to get up, get off my bike and walk it up. And they'd be waiting for me at the top. I used to tell them that they should bring war and peace along <laughs> 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 to read as they were waiting for me. But I kept doing it, you know, I just kept doing it, and the more I did it, the stronger I got. And one day I could actually make it to the top of the hill, and you know, there was that great feeling of accomplishment. And after some time, it was really interesting, because until then I had been dreading the hills. You know, but at a certain point, just by doing it and gradually getting stronger, and I found myself actually looking for hills, you know, to ride up. It's like the challenge of it, you know, inspired the virya, inspired the energy. So I see this as an aspect of this quality of courage, not retreating from difficulties, but actually engaging with them and meeting with them and being inspired by them. With this courageous aspect of virya, we meet the different challenges for the sake of accomplishing what we most value, whether it's in meditation or something in our daily lives in the world. When virya is developed, and here it's important to remember that this quality, like all the other factors of mind, grows stronger through practice. So wherever we are, whether we're at the beginning of our mountain bike career, our meditative career, our virya career, whether at the beginning or somewhere along the way, the more we practice, the stronger it gets. So When this quality of virya is developed, it really becomes undaunted you know, by the thought of hardships or by the length of the task or the endeavor. So in all of the texts, perhaps the most striking statement of virya, of courageous determination, was the Bodhisattva's declaration as as he was working for Buddhahood. He said, let only my skin and bones remain, let my blood dry up, I will not give up until I." have accomplished what can be done by human effort and endeavor. That's quite a statement. Uh, Let my blood dry up. I won't give up until I have accomplished what can be done by human effort and endeavor. It's worth noting here that this powerful resolve refers back to what can be done by human effort and endeavor it's not relying on some supernatural divine being or power the bodhisattva is saying and the buddha after his awakening said frequently this is something we can do as humans and just as i've done it we can also do it but even so you know when we hear this kind of resolve we might think yes that that kind of courageous determination you know may be fine for the bodhisattva the buddha to be but it seems very far away really from anything we may be able to do and it's true we we may not yet have the level of the bodhisattva's resolve and determination. So it's worth acknowledging that. Still, there are many people, many examples of people, expressing tremendous valor and courage in pursuit of their goals. Sometimes it's in very individual ways. And there's one story which really inspired me. And it was a story told to me by someone who's on staff here at IMS. He told me this story some years ago. Before he came on staff, quite a, quite a number of years before, he had been in the army. And while he was in the army and in training, he said that at one point he volunteered to run a marathon, 26 miles. But in the army, the marathons are a little different. They were run with full gear and a thirty-five-pound pack, you know, on his back. So I asked. I mean, he told me this. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine it. And I said, "Why did you volunteer?" This was vol- voluntary. <laughs> Why did you volunteer to do this? And he said there was a mixture of motives, but primarily he wanted to face his mind. In extreme circumstances, he just wanted to see what his mind would do. And it was for him more about just exploring how to live his life rather than finishing the race. So he said that at mile 13 out of 26, he had many seductive thoughts about wanting to give up and then wanting to stop. And at mile 13, there were, there were vans who were there, would, would take people back to a rest stop, and some of the runners you know, gave up at that point. But he said that from mile 13 on, and this was interesting, that the runners who continued, sort of like Sangha on a retreat, all of the runners who continued were really supporting each other, you know, and just by that community of runners. They were helping each other continue. And then he said, in the last few miles of the race, the course was run over sand. (laughs) Somehow he finished. So he was telling me this story. And just as he was telling me, I thought, boy, this is an amazing example of virya. You know, it was virya, that quality of mind that energized the original intention. It was virya that strengthened the determination to keep going. And it was virya that faced the challenges, the difficulties with courage. And so it's just a really beautiful example for me, you know, of how this quality of mind manifests. And perhaps most remarkable of all, to me, he volunteered to run the race the next year as well. <laughs> now this person wasn't a world-class athlete, you know, he wasn't an Olympic gold medalist, he was just a guy. But with this very powerful development of virya within him, he had this, this Particular quality of mind, very well-developed. So I'm not suggesting that we should all go out and run a marathon with 35 pounds on our backs. But we can bring our own wisdom to bear in considering for ourselves what is important in our lives. You know, what is of value in our lives that is worth, that inspires the cultivation of this kind of energy, this kind of courageous energy, and realizing that it's virya that will help us accomplish whatever that might be. In these situations, courage doesn't mean that we're free of doubts or fear. Yeah. So we don't have to wait until we're free of all doubt and fear to apply this courageous aspect of virya. Rather, it is strength of heart to act in the face of fear. The great artist Georgia O'Keeffe. She lived in the Southwest and did these beautiful paintings, uh, particularly of the desert. Um, She wrote. I've been absolutely terrified every moment of my life, and I've never let it keep me from doing a single thing I wanted to do. And I love that because it acknowledges, yes, we all will have fears and doubts when we come to our edges. But with this quality of fear, we don't have to let those fears and doubts stop us. We can act in the face of them. We can also see the power of courageous energy in the lives of many people in the front lines of social action. You know, and just the amazing stories of people like Martin Luther King Jr. or Nelson Mandela, you know, maintaining an open heart in the face of tremendous hatred and violence. Or Aung San Suu Kyi. You know who was under house arrest in Burma for over 17 years. And in all that time, she was holding the aspirations for freedom for millions of Burmese people living for 14. and she could have left at any time the government actually wanted her to leave the country, because then they wouldn't let her back. And she chose to stay under house arrest. So upon her release, and you know, as most of you know, she was released this year and things in Burma seem to be opening a bit. There was an interview with an Australian newspaper. And the interviewer was asking her, you know, now that you're you're out and you can actually engage, uh, you know, in the political system, she was asked, don't you want to bring these generals down? You know the, the generals who, who really created such a, a vast amount of suffering in Burma. Don't you want to bring them down? And she replied, "No, I want to bring them up." So that's an amazing quality, and an amazing response. You know, and it, it just speaks to that courageous heart. All of these stories inspire me, and inspire my practice to some extent because we don't often challenge ourselves to extend our limits, to play at the very edge of our comfort zone, to really see what is possible for us even if it may be uncomfortable or even when it's difficult. So As we arouse virya you know within ourselves to accomplish our own particular aims it's important to remember that this factor of mind can be associated with either wholesome or unwholesome motivations so energy itself is a neutral factor and we know that people sometimes use energy for good and sometimes people use their energy for harm and even when there's a wholesome motivation a wholesome purpose we need to investigate whether we're applying the energy in a skillful or unskillful way so this is the art of the practice how are we using our energy even when it even when it's a wholesome motivation are we using it skillfully So, Saida Utejaniya, he speaks a lot in his teachings about the proper use of energy. He says, avoiding difficult situations or running away from them does not usually take much skill or effort, but doing so prevents you from testing your own limits and from growing. The ability to face difficulties can be crucial for your growth. However, if you are faced with a situation in which the difficulties are simply overwhelming, you should step back for the time being and wait until you have built up enough strength to deal with them skillfully. So This is important. We want to experiment and explore playing at the edge, but also knowing when it's too much, when it's overwhelming, and then we have to pull back a bit. So this, this is the art of the practice. So in addition to energy and strength and courage, virya also manifests as persistence, as perseverance. It's the quality that keeps us going. Many examples of this. I read one story of the great cellist Pablo Casals, who at 93 was still practicing three hours a day. So, I mean, here's this great, great master cellist at 93, still practicing three hours a day. And when he was asked why he still practiced at that age, he said, I'm beginning to see some improvement. <laughs> So I think that can be a lesson for us. <laughs> the meditation is not so different than mastering a musical instrument. You know, it's not overnight. One one year we got a letter here addressed to the Instant Meditation Society, <laughs> and I think it was kind of wishful thinking. <laughs> It's not an instant process, as you know. you know. It takes just the perseverance and that courageous energy just to keep going. And slowly, the qualities of mind, the wholesome qualities, are strengthened and developed. There's a great story from the Tibetan tradition. It's well known, so you may have heard it before. You know, The great Tibetan yogi, Milarepa. Uh, who was this great ascetic and lived in a cave and lived on nettles, you know, for many, many years, and finally became, you know, this great enlightened being? And he had many disciples. And before he died, he wanted to give a special transmission to his chief disciple. You know, in in Tibetan Buddhism, there are a lot of rituals and ceremonies and different kinds of transmissions. So, Miller Raper says you know, to his disciple, We need to go into the mountains for this and create a special place. So, they hike up into the mountains and you know, do all the ceremonies. And the disciple is very anxious to get the transmission you know, of these higher teachings. And they do some chanting and some prayers. And at the end, Miller bends over, lifts his robe and shows all the calluses on his backside. That was the transmission. <laughs> That's what it takes, <laughs> you know, sitting on the cushion and being persevering with it. The Dalai Lama, he expressed it in another way. He said, never give up, no matter what is going on. Never give up. Develop the heart, be compassionate, not just to your friends, but to everyone be compassionate work for peace in your own heart and in the world work for peace and i say again never give up no matter what is happening no matter what is going on around you never give up and that's that's what it takes and that's the quality of virya that's that perseverance and you'll experience this you know so vividly on this retreat because As I'm sure you've already experienced, there are so many ups and downs. You know, there are times when it's really easy and going smoothly, and times when there's big struggles, struggles with the body, struggles with difficult mind states. But if we can keep referring back to the importance of this quality, you know, virya of perseverance, never give up then the practice really unfolds and all of these wholesome qualities become stronger. So virya as energy, as strength, as courage, as perseverance. This brings us to one of the most difficult aspects of virya to understand and to negotiate skillfully And that's the relationship of virya, of energy to right effort. Effort is the use of energy to accomplish some goal, some objective. And the art of practice is learning how to use the energy skillfully. You know, when is it balanced? When is effort too much and counterproductive? In English, the word effort has so many connotations and so many shades of meaning. So we need to understand the subtleties of understanding how effort is applied in practice. Effort becomes unskillful when there's a forcing of the mind. It's what I call efforting. Rather than a relaxation of mind. So, effort is unskillful when the mind is full of expectation, you know, that wanting mind, rather than openness and receptivity. So, we need to be very mindful of how we're making effort, how we're using the energy of virya. If we have a strong agenda, if we come into a sitting or a walking or even moving throughout the day, and if we have a strong agenda, or we're focusing too intently, or we find we're holding on to the object too tightly, afraid that we'll lose it, or we're trying to push through something, you know, push through some block or push through some emotional uh, complexity, then we need to open. We need to soften the mind. We need to soften the quality of effort. But if the mind is continually getting lost, just drifting off again and again in daydreams or reactivity, or we don't have a caring, wise attention to what's happening, we don't have an interest in what's going on. When we're being casual rather than relaxed, then we need to arouse more effort. We need to call up this quality of virya, of energy, of courage. We need to come closer to the object. It's so interesting because sometimes it's just a matter of a slight shift which makes all the difference. So, one example of this happened to me, this goes back quite a few years. I was practicing in Nepal with Saida Upandita and we were in this monastery and the conditions were terrible. I mean, there were four or five of us in a room just on a bare cement floor, it was right next to the latrine, so bad smells and the food wasn't good and my mind was really grumpy. Yeah, and just a lot of judgment about the whole scene so i went into saido and i was reporting on my state of mind and all he said to me was be more mindful and my thought was thanks a lot <laughs> 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 you know all these problems and they were real problems <laughs> be more mindful so I bowed and left the room, started walking. But I thought, okay, here's this great teacher. He said, be more mindful. Maybe I should try it. So I actually became more mindful. In the walking, I just started feeling the movement, the sensations of the movement, more carefully. And I realized that up until that point, I had been in that condition which I've described as more or less mindful. You know, I was walking and kind of there, but really continually ruminating about all the bad conditions. As soon as I became more mindful and I just felt closely what was going on, all of that, that agitation in the mind fell away because I was fully engaged. It wasn't difficult, it was just that slight little shift and remembering, and in this case, you know, having it suggested to me. To do it, just to to drop into the moment with more care. There's an interesting principle regarding energy that we often overlook, and that is the principle that effort creates energy. Because mostly we think that we need energy in order to make effort oh, I'm feeling tired, I have low energy, I can't really make an effort now. And It's actually just the opposite. It's by making the effort that energy is aroused. And We know this just from our ordinary lives. You know, If you're feeling tired and sluggish and dull and then you go out and do some vigorous exercise, you make the effort to do it, how do you feel afterwards? Almost always we feel energized. The effort has created the energy. So, just as one little example of this in meditation, which is very counterintuitive, this was also during a course with Sayadaw Ubandita here. You know, it was, pretty, it was pretty rigorous. He's a demanding teacher, and we were just sleeping four hours a night. You know, maybe we could cheat a little and sleep five. But it was the main thing. I was just sitting and walking and sitting and walking all day, and so I was often you know, pretty tired. So I was doing walking meditation in the dining room, feeling tired, feeling sluggish. And walking next to me uh, was my fellow yogi and colleague, Sharon Salzberg. And on this retreat, she was the queen of slow movement. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing to me. I, you know it could take her 45 minutes to walk one length of the dining room she, so she was walking next to me and, and i was feeling really tired but i kind of glanced over and i saw sharon and i don't know i don't know there was a little bit of competitive <laughs> meditating that arose in me but i thought, okay i can walk just as slowly <laughs> <laughs> So, so, I just brought it to the extreme. I, I, I said to myself, how slowly can you walk and still move? <laughs> you know. So it just, you know, it came down to microscopic. Just, shh. what was amazing to me was that within two steps, I was totally awake. Now, if you had said or somebody had told me, yeah, if you're feeling tired, you know, walk slower. That seems counterintuitive. You'd think, oh, walk quicker, you know, and arouse the energy. Which also, you know, might be helpful. But why did it work? Because it took it took some effort to walk that slowly. And in making the effort, the energy was aroused. So we want to play. You know, this, this retreat in this place, it's really like this great laboratory of the mind and the body. You have nothing else to do except to explore how it's all working. I mean, what an amazing gift. So the cultivation of virya in all its different aspects of strength and courage and perseverance and effort, and its use in a wise and balanced way is a very refined art. It's not something that we find and then we have for the retreat. It's a continual adjustment where we're watching, we're noticing what's the quality of our effort in this moment. We need to see the present circumstance, the present experience with wisdom. Is the mind too tight? Then we need to loosen it. Is it too casual? Is it too loose? Then we need to tighten it a little bit. It's like tuning the strings of a musical instrument. So I think I read this in the opening days of the retreat. I can't quite remember. But it's very appropriate here in terms of understanding how to modulate and understand the balance of right effort. It says, the teachings describe two shortcomings of practice called lack of attention and being over-attentive. In the former, one does not pay attention to the training and we become lost in daydreaming. It's lack of attention. Being over-attentive means to be preoccupied with keeping hold of the meditation to such an extent that it actually disturbs the quality of concentration. The hectic attempt to be so present, so mindful, turns into a distraction all by itself. Of course, one should have presence of mind, but it should be allowed to progress in a spacious way, not in a constrictive or rigid manner. The more open the sense of being mindful is, the more at ease it is the more relaxed we are. And this relaxed quality is very important. So you're getting some sense of how we need to modulate the virya, modulate the effort, but be paying attention so that we're actually doing it. We're not simply being carried along on our habit patterns of practice. We're really looking to see where do we need to be more mindful? Where do we need to relax? And one of the things which I'm sure you've noticed here on retreat, that in the course of a day, both on retreat and in our lives, we experience many different energy cycles. There may be times a day when we're really alert and awake and present. In times of the day when there seems to be a low energy and the mind is dull, so in paying attention to these cycles of energy, we can then also appropriate, we can also employ the appropriate aspect of virya. At times, we w- might want to emphasize the heroic, courageous quality, seeing where we limit ourselves. You know, and becoming inspired to play at the edges of our comfort zone, not to pull back. So this might mean, just as a few examples, maybe it would mean sitting longer than we usually do. You know, or walking longer. Maybe it's eating less. Maybe it's sleeping less. Maybe it would mean to use more mental noting if that's a tool that's been helpful for you. This takes effort. Or it might even be simply doing something a little different than what you usually do. It's like breaking a habit. Every morning after the 8.15 sitting, you you sit and sit for however long you do. Then you go have a cup of tea and then you do the walking. not because there's anything wrong with that but just to break the ha- what would it be like to go to the walking without having the cup of tea is it even possible <laughs> i'm just using that as an example <laughs> you know we all and we all just get established in habit patterns of practice and we get comfortable with them and so just to look at okay well what would it be like to break the habit to do something a little differently that's playing the edge a bit. Just a couple of suggestions possibly. Something that helped me a lot in the walking practice. And we haven't we haven't really taught it formally, but there's a way of doing the slow walking not only in three parts, you know, of lift and move and place, but to divide the step into six parts where it's lifting, and then moving, which is the first part of the moving forward, and then moving, swinging, and then lowering, placing when we first touch, and then stepping when the weight comes down. Okay? So we're just noticing these six parts of the step. Lifting, moving, swinging, lowering, placing, stepping. So when Sayada first suggested that I do that, I was amazed at the difference it made, because even when I had been doing the very slow walking of lift and move in place, I hadn't really noticed it, but there was a slight energetic leaning into the next part. I was lifting in order to move forward, <laughs> you know, and I was moving forward waiting to take a step. It was very subtle, but there was a slight forward lean. When I did the six part walking, that disappeared and the mind settled into the moment in a different way, in a more connected way. So I'm just saying this, not that each of you should do it all the time, but just as a possibility to experiment with. It's one way of experimenting. When we're discovering ways to play the edge, to play at our boundaries, whether it's you know, sleeping less or sitting longer or six-part walking or not having the cup of tea, whatever it may be, it's important that it be done with the quality of interest and willingness. You know, it's it's the sense of exploring, not that it's something we should be doing or it's the right way to do it. That's not a helpful attitude. It's just that sense of, OK, here we're in this situation. Can I explore? Can I explore what's possible? This is the development, the cultivation of virya. On the other side, if the mind feels too tight, too much efforting, and we find the mind is just filled with self-judgment, you know, or on the other side, ambitious striving then the softer side of virya might be more appropriate, not this kind of courageous, heroic effort, but maybe it's the aspect of perseverance, of continuity. So again, Saito Tejani he expresses this so well. Right effort means to keep reminding yourself to be aware. Right effort is persistent effort It is not energy used to focus hard on something. It is effort which is simply directed at remaining aware. This next line is really important. It is not difficult to be aware or mindful. It is difficult to maintain it continuously. For this you need right effort, which is simply perseverance. You do not need strong effort to be mindful. When we are present, we naturally become aware of what is happening. Simply reminding yourself to be in the present moment is all the effort we need. So, this is the softer side. You know, it's realizing it doesn't take a heavy focusing, it doesn't take much to be mindful. It's just remembering to come back to the present, to connect with it. Do you get some sense of the subtlety and the nuances of this quality of virya? It has so many different sides and aspects, and we can, we can use and employ the different aspects of it as we, as we begin to understand you know, from our own experience. The complexity of it. We see sometimes we're really playing at the edge, and sometimes we're softening and surrendering, and we each have to be paying attention to see what's appropriate. And this is helpful not only for deepening our practice here on retreat, but this quality of virya and learning how to apply it wisely is so important for integrating our practice in our lives in the world. Whatever we're doing, whether it's here on retreat, whether it's in our daily lives, whatever we're doing, our minds are always with us. <laughs> so the power of virya is the training, the energy to stay aware, to stay mindful of what is actually happening. Paying attention, being aware of the quality of our minds as we go through the day. And in this way, as the sixteenth Karmapa, was one of the great Tibetan masters, he said, in this way, if we're paying attention to our minds throughout the day, we can be living the practice instead of just doing it. And I love that, <laughs> that slight. Distinction there. You now, so often we're doing the practice at particular times, but we want to be living the practice. When vira is developed, really our whole life becomes our practice. So I just want to close with a teaching from another. Uh, wonderful Tibetan teacher. His name is Zigar Kongtrul. He said, the potential for realization is universal and present in us all. True benefit will come from your own efforts and realization. For your efforts to bring benefit, you must take your life into your own hands and examine your mind and experience. From this point of view, nobody could be kinder to you than yourself. Nobody could have a greater effect on you or actually do more for you than yourself. The Buddha said, I have shown you the path of liberation. Now liberation depends on you. This is really true. If you don't take your life into your own hands, not even the Buddhas can make a difference. It's up to you. This is the rallying cry. (laughs) Let's sit for a few moments.